Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Today our topic is on the conditional statement and specifically the conditional statement of if-then which is used by computers to get results we are looking for and in everyday questions we have on just about any topic in life. So how do we give and get information that is relevant to our interests from our computers and life in general? Well, you simply type in a word, question, or statement into your computer or ask someone a question of purpose or statement. And if you ask a remotely logical question or make a logical statement that is worthy of a conclusion and are looking for logical responses, you will indeed end up with one. But why? Because you entered or asked words that can generate a positive result. In other words, your question or statement had a definitive answer, whether positive or negative. However, if your if question had no value, as in it is so outlandish, then you would get nothing or something completely unrelated in return from both people and a computer. And some of us have inadvertently asked erroneous questions and not gotten the results we were looking for in return, and ultimately an erroneous answer. Or perhaps did we intentionally ask an erroneous question in hopes that we could prevail by trickery as a way of preventing a logical response from someone in an attempt to aid our own agenda? And this is often the case with those who are attempting to disprove God or anything they don't want to agree with. But at this point, you might be questioning as to how this has anything to do with God, Jesus, Christianity, or studying God's Word. The reality is, it has everything to do with it, and this example provides a great analogy of God and His Word through everyday life, and God's Word is full of if-then statements. Now, at this point, I know there are going to be a number of people who will jump to another very compelling example of if-then statements, and that of the if-then being a conditional statement, which it ultimately is. And a conditional statement consists of a hypothesis, which is the if, and a conclusion, which is the then. Interestingly enough, many in the world will applaud right now and say, see, you sunk your silly argument in an attempt to show the accuracy of God and his word by using the if-then analogy, because the if is just that. It's a hypothesis with nothing proven. And that's why the Bible is inaccurate and God doesn't exist. However, let's quickly look at the definition of a hypothesis, since many are not completely familiar with the definition and usually only take a piece of it. And the dictionary says a hypothesis is a supposition or proposed explanation made on the basis of limited evidence as a starting point for further investigation. And if read quickly, this could sound pretty damning to the whole of my point and to God's word, except for the ever-important seven last words of this definition. Let's look again. The definition states, it is a proposed explanation made on the basis of limited evidence. And that again sounds as though we can prove God and his word invalid and a million other things on earth for that as well. But this is what most people understand a hypothesis to be, a question or statement without evidence. However, there is no period at the end of the first part of the definition, rather a comma which keeps us going. And we then land on the most critical piece of the definition, and that is as a starting point for further investigation. 
Yes, that's it. There is no hypothesis without further investigation. And the only reason anyone would even present a question or statement is to truly find an answer and the correct answer at that, which usually requires investigation. And that is exactly what God wants us to do in His Word. And that is, I believe, the purpose of the Bible. Because with every if-then statement from God in His Word, there are dozens of passages to back them all up with evidence in order for us to grow fully in Him. That is, unless, of course, you are simply determined to reject any evidence or response other than your own if-then hypothesis conclusion. Remember, however, if you personally decide to conclude there is no God and the Bible is inaccurate, then you can't do further investigation into proving your own hypothesis, which ultimately leaves you unable to prove God and the Bible inaccurate. And this is a great place to head into God's Word and take a look at the first of many if-then statements. So the following if-then statements from God as we find them in Scripture will most certainly take investigating in order to find the truth. Now let's look at our first if-then statement from God's Word. And this first passage is the entire premise for the rest of this message. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Isn't that a great if-then? A great conditional statement? So let's break it down. If you ask, then it will be given to you. If you seek, then you will find. If you knock, then the door will be opened to you. Those are pretty solid if-then statements. But ask what? Seek what? And why knock? And for that answer, we will journey to our other if-then in Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simply put, if you confess, then you will be saved. So in these first passages, we have our hypothesis and our conclusion. And so this is the exact reason why I prefaced this message with all the examples of if-then statements as it relates to computers and everyday life. Because if you are not interested in inputting legitimate inquiries, you will not get legitimate responses in return. I used the word erroneous earlier, and for the simple reason that it is so fitting in this case. And what makes the word so fitting is its Latin origin definition, which means to wander. And this is unfortunately how many people go about asking questions and coming up with results, and that by wandering. And when you see someone just wandering, you know they have no destination, they have no goal, no end point. We often ask people who are just wandering around, quote, where are you going or what are you doing? We too often ask someone who is wandering, do you need help finding something? Oftentimes when we are wandering around with questions and answers that we have proposed to be grounded and legitimate, we are most often clueless and it's evident by how we are presenting ourselves. I have done a considerable amount of traveling, and there have been times when I didn't want to look like a tourist. I didn't want to look like I didn't fit in, and so I pretended to know the answers. I pretended to know where I was. I had all my if-thens figured out in my own head, but that rarely works. And no matter how smart you think you are, or look at the very least, it's evident you don't know where you are. Inevitably, at least one person will see you are lost and wandering aimlessly and ultimately come to you and say, if you are lost, then why don't you just ask for help? And should we insist we have it all together and know exactly what we are doing, everyone else still knows you are lost and wandering 
and will just move on with their lives knowing the truth, that you are, in fact, very wrong. In the exact same way, if you go into finding God with a preconceived agenda, then it will be your preconceived agenda you will get in return. And so you have conducted no test of the information and looked for no evidence, and so you have concluded nothing. And that perfectly breaks all the rules of science, language, and computer programming, which we would certainly never do in any other circumstance outside of seeking the accurate results about God through investigation. On to our next passage, Matthew 17, 20. For truly I, Jesus, say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, then you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Following up in Luke 17, 6, And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now we have truly hit on a hypothesis, potentially, that has a conclusion of ridiculous. Right? Wrong. What is the hypothesis of this statement? What is the if? The if is, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed. That's the if. So it needs investigation. Nowhere in the statement, we know, does God say that you will have that much faith. He simply states that if you choose to sincerely seek even the smallest speck of true, sincere, unwavering faith in him, then you will have the power to move the mountains and the trees. So why then hasn't anyone obtained that faith, at least once in their life, to move a mountain or uproot a tree? And there is our if to investigate. And the then to this is, because our faith is always seasoned with a good dose of doubt, and this is true for everyone, which negates any chance of moving a mountain or a tree. So we can't conclude that this is not possible since indeed we have never pursued that kind of faith. And why haven't we pursued it? Because right out of the gate we say, well, that's just an example of having good faith. Or, we all know that's not possible, surely God didn't mean it that way. There it is. All doubt, no trust to attempt anything with the faith God has asked us to trust him in. Just wandering around God's supposed erroneous words. We are terrible at fully trusting. We love to doubt. We love to question everything, especially when it comes to God. We love to worry and we hate to just ask God and walk completely away and wait for whatever he gives us or doesn't give us to do and to understand. And so we can't prove God false since we are never fully engaging in testing all he promises in complete faith. And this is exactly why we can't move mountains and trees, because we operate our lives on doubt and constant questioning and not on faith. Next passage. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people are called by my name and humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And that sounds like a pretty solid if-then statement, considering the decay of humanity today. It is fascinating to listen to the news and constantly hear how we are going to fix the world's problems. But yet it is evident the more and faster we try to fix and solve the problems of the world and the universe, the faster and faster we decline into chaos and destruction. At least in my opinion, when I am in a situation like this, I desperately want to go to someone who can give me direction, someone who can hopefully give me answers that I don't have. 
Yet the majority of the world will never go out of themselves for help and answers. If God is real, then he could help us. Why don't we as a world do that investigation and just see? What can be lost? What can it harm to go to God and ask, since nothing else is working at all? Isn't that more evidence self-help is rotten to its core? And even as believers, this is why we can't move so much as a grain of sand one millimeter with our faith. It is because we too trust in ourselves. We have faith in us, in our supposed abilities, knowledge, and power, which is great evidence that we are also full of pride and ego. But can we back this up in God's word? Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. If humanity keeps crumbling as it has for thousands of years and keeps declining at the rate it is, then that tells us we don't know what on earth we are doing and need to look well outside of ourselves. But will we ever do that? Let's continue in Exodus 19.5. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. And a good addition to this passage is Galatians 6-7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And is it not pretty apparent the world is reaping devastation from what we are sowing, what we are doing? But many in the world don't want to and will not be tied down to this one singular identity who calls himself God, the one and only Father, Son, and Spirit. And interestingly enough, only because it is not socially acceptable by the majority of the population. And so we create our own gods to get us through life. A prime example of this is to have a God of our understanding, a God that suits us. So if you have a God of your own understanding, then indeed you have become your own God. And that is quite the popular thing to do. Let me explain. If you decide who a God is in your own mind, a God of your understanding. That means you have designed and determined everything about that God, top to bottom and side to side. And so indeed it is, in the end, all your doing, your decision, and all your creation. Yes, if you just assigned your conscious, your desire, your will, your interests, your imagination to be your God, by virtue of that, then, you are now your own God, the God of your understanding. Just a quick side question on this. How many of you would accept me, respect me, or want to even be in the same room with me if I simply decided who you were solely based on my understanding, my determination? I don't think I can find one person who would accept that. You would want me to know you for who you know you are and believe you are and who you say you are. And the same goes for God. Let's back this up with 1 Corinthians 13, 3 through 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Let's continue on to John 15.10. Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And continuing further to John 14.23, 
Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And these passages make it very clear that if you have true love, then it can only come from God. If love only comes from God, then it will be a very particular kind of love and it will be particular in that it is patient, kind, it will not envy, it will not boast, it will not be proud, it will not dishonor others, it will not be self-seeking, it will not be easily angered, it will not keep a record of wrongs, it will not delight in evil, but it will rejoice in the truth, it will always protect, it will always trust, it will always hope, and it will always persevere because God's love never fails. If that is how we love, then we know God and have a relationship with Him, and it is not a God of our own understanding. And none of this comes from us, our doing, our understanding, but only from God. If you are truly interested in knowing God and experiencing His love, then He will show Himself to you in no uncertain terms. Let's go back again to Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. In conclusion, I would encourage you to study Proverbs 3, which I believe is the best chapter in God's Word that takes us through a great if-then journey. However, please don't read it. Rather, hear it. Study it. Listen to the words with intention of understanding. And if needed, Look deeper into the Bible for answers to the questions you may have. All the answers to every question anyone ever has about God and His authenticity and the truth of His Word are right in front of you. And if you go to God sincerely in prayer in all these things, then He will hear you and provide you exactly what you need to know and understand who He is. And so let's do that now. Let's go to God in prayer. Most holy and awesome God, thank you for being so clear, so concise, so direct with your words. Thank you for showing yourself to us so plainly and in such a loving way. Thank you for answering every if we have and help each of us to always fully investigate every if in our lives and trust you will faithfully provide each of us an absolute then. Father, we beg of you to continue the good work in our lives that we may never grow tired or comfortable in our walk with you. Keep us focused on you because if we are focused on you, then we will be walking in your paths of righteousness and for your name's sake. And if we seek you first and your kingdom, then all these other things will be added to us. And we now ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.